Welcome to another episode of Million Dollar Stories, where we get to interview authors from all over the world. Today, I have a special guest. His name is William Poundstone. He wrote a book that is perfect for this time of year. Uh, you know, when you go into a store and you see a price that has uh, uh, 997, 998, 999, well, there's a reason behind it. And I think that William's going to get into it. So the book, it is called, let's see here. Um, whoops priceless right priceless the myth of fair value and how to take advantage of it this has a lot of reviews on amazon so i recommend you guys pick this up because there are a lot of people talking about it 292 reviews that's pretty tough in the book business so it's an honor to have you here william thanks so much for being a part of million dollar stories yes i'm glad to be with you well let's get right into uh the genesis of the book why did you write it what made you put this together well, I tend to write books that uh, that take a simple scientific idea and show how it has all these social implications. And in doing general reading, I would often come across two Israeli-American uh, psychologists, uh, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman. And Kahneman, of course, is very well known now. Uh, but it seemed that whenever they collaborated on some sort of psychology study, it was always really fascinating uh, it always got my attention. I sort of thought it would be great to do something uh, about their work. And as I began uh, reading more about it, uh, I found that a lot of what they had uh, determined in psychology has been very influential in marketing. Uh, you've now got uh, this whole cottage industry called price consulting. And there are companies that advise other companies on how to set their prices because it is, you know, obviously a very big factor in getting people to buy. And uh, it's one thing that you can control as a manufacturer or a seller uh, that can have this huge leverage in, in what your profits are. So it was kind of interesting that these very theoretical people uh, had such influence uh, in, in the marketplace. And that's basically what the book is about. Well, great marketers are just, they're great psychologists, right? They figure yes, exactly. out how people think and then they tailor their message to them. And mm -hmm. there's a book, I believe it was written in the twenties and they call him the father of propaganda. Forget his name. But once you understand that pretty much everything you've ever been sold as a kid or growing mm -hmm. up, uh, or even as an adult, there is a marketer behind it. And most likely um, they've done a lot of thought when it comes to the pricing, the colors, mm -hmm. the image, the, the, the visuals that they show. And so mm -hmm. not many people think about the price behind it. And um, you bring mm -hmm. up some very important facts of, uh, you know, the, the ending matters, the 99 cents. Why yes. does that play a factor? So um, you, you also talk about how to take advantage of it. And I think this is perfect for entrepreneurs. So is this a good thing and a bad thing, basically, that you're being played? But if you understand how the game is played, you can really reap a lot as a as a business owner. Yeah, there's kind of two ways of looking at it, and you put it quite well. Uh, basically, everyone thinks I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to be influenced by uh, a price that ends in ninety nine, particularly. And and it, the crazy thing about it is, I mean, you see this not only at the ninety nine cent store, but if you look at real estate listings, people have got multi million dollar houses, and the price ends in ninety nine. You know, yeah. uh, and everyone thinks, oh, you know, I'm too rational to be uh, influenced by that, just as people say, you know, I'm too strong-willed to be hypnotized. 
but you find out, I mean, they've done these controlled studies and it makes a huge difference. Now, for a long time, this was something that e economists just ignored. They sort of figured these uh, these 99 uh, prices, which are called charm prices, by the way, in, in the industry, um, were some sort of harmless retailer's superstition. They figured people are too rational to be influenced by that. <laughs> but they started doing uh, actual you know, experiments on this. Uh, they would do things like they'd have a manufacturer print up two versions of its catalog with two different prices. And of course, you do this very easily now on the internet. A-B testing, uh, correct. And, yeah. and you just compare how much you sell at, like um, in one experiment, they had some women's clothing. They were selling either for $39 or for $34 or for $44. And they found that it sold best, the, the exact same product, at $39. Uh, more people bought it at 39 than at 34 because 39 had that uh, that uh, nine on the end there. So it is a big effect. Uh, unfortunately, these studies can't directly tell us why this works, but they think that there is some sort of cultural memory. You associate nines with maybe discounts, uh, with better bargains, with negotiating, whereas if it's a round number, it doesn't seem that way. And, you know, certainly uh, some upscale retailers go the opposite direction. If you go to a really fancy restaurant, uh, they're not going to have prices ending in nine. They're just going to have like $40 for yes. this uh, thing or whatever. So it's it's kind of, and, you know, you get the same thing at Nordstrom's, other upscale um, department stores. So th they really, uh, it's part of the image they convey. Uh, it's it's unconscious, but it is very real. And if you have round numbers, you figure this this is a quality product, and you're going to pay for it. But if you're looking to, you know, if you regard a product as a commodity and just want the best price, when you see that nine, it makes a difference, and you're more likely to buy it. You said something very fascinating that people sold more at nine thirty nine dollars rather than thirty four. Right. Yes, so, which makes absolutely no sense to economists. Right. But uh, you know, you're dealing with real people, not uh, not hypothetical homo economists or whatever. So you you've got to deal with people as they are, and uh, and it really makes a difference. And I have seen Walmart, and I don't know if they do. I haven't been in a Walmart in a long time, but uh, mm -hmm. they end with ninety eight. I think now is there yeah. some studies that show why? Certain products are at 97, 98, and 99. And is there any data that you can relate to our audience? Well, certainly that's one thing you see. I talked with one guy who's a restaurant consultant, and one of his pet peeves is prices that end in like 95 as opposed to 99, because he says you're you're giving away four cents. Uh, and in the restaurant business with very small margins, four cents is a lot. So uh, he believes basically they should stick with 99. Wow. Okay. And so um, when did these price consultants enter, you can say the market? Was this something that happened in the uh, 30s and 40s? It seemed like a lot of changes ha happened in the marketing world right around the 20s. So I would assume it was well, right afterwards. Yeah. Uh, the 20s is really the rise of, of advertising. And the advertisers were some of the first to provide advice on that. But they really weren't very scientific about it. It's really much more recent, the 1980s, where you started having these price consultancies. 
Uh, there's a firm uh, based in Germany called Simon Kucher and Partners, and they're really one of the defining uh, businesses in this field. Uh, they, it's interesting that they came into business like uh, the 1970s was when Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman really came to public attention, published some of their great papers. Uh, so they were definitely influenced by that. And another thing that was an influence was uh, price scanning, which came out, I think, in the late 70s. So by the 1980s, you had all these retailers who had tons and tons of data on how much sold at what price. And they realized if you can get that scanned data and look at it, you can do you know, your own experiments with the products you're actually selling and find you know, where people are price sensitive and where they're not. Uh, and that became a big part of their business. Hmm. This week is Black Friday week. And uh, I think it's crucial for people to know that um, some deals are really not deals. It might be just individuals yeah. getting rid of their inventory and they mm -hmm. price it in a way that makes it seem like, and there are certain tricks that they play, but that makes it seem like it's a steal when really what they're doing is unloading the old stuff so they can bring in the new stuff. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you found in any type of research regarding this week in particular? Well, Black Friday is like a giant 99 price. Uh, right. People have been cued to think that you're going to get great deals on Black Friday. And even though there are you know, features saying that not necessarily, people still believe that is true of most things on Black Friday. Uh, one of the things they use is advertised reference prices. Now, this is another thing that economists have said makes no sense at all. This is where you see something is marked uh, you know, $39 down from originally $70. And you think, wow, that's a great deal. That's Black Friday is basically made of these advertised reference prices. Uh, and they've shown in, again, these controlled experiments that they do cause people to, uh, to really uh, be more likely to buy, to think that they got a good bargain. Now, of course, the way it often works, I mean, you can't actually tell a lie, but you can raise the prices like today and keep it that way through Thanksgiving and then cut it, you know, for Black Friday. Exactly. And that uh, that causes people to buy. Uh, it's it's uh, it's very Pavlovian. Again, people don't believe they're susceptible to it. But when you look at the studies, they are. Whenever I was growing up, I would uh, and it was Thanksgiving, I would be so excited for that newspaper to come in to see the ads and i was ah. a buyer i would make sure we went out at six in the morning to get speakers or surround sound system whatever we can get because it was like wow we could afford it then and um it was only later when i started my own business that i realized the games were that they were playing and you bring up a very good point where they would raise the price throughout the last quarter or the few months prior or weeks day or even days and then that one day bring it down to a price that it was yeah. actually set at probably before they started raising the prices. So yes. significant yeah. games and just being aware of it will give you such a leg up. The man that I wanted to talk about, and maybe you kind of have some insight, Edward Bernays. Are you familiar with him at all? Uh, not really. No. Okay. They call him the father of propaganda. And oh. he was the individual that helped sell uh, the uh, the cigarettes to women. He was also mm -hmm. an individual who put things in place to sell breakfast, bacon and eggs together. 
How is that even possible? Well, Edward Bernays was approached by an individual uh, to, to start selling more bacon. And he's like, well, why don't we get X amount of doctors to say it's healthy for you to start off the day with breakfast? And, uh, and it's pretty wild. There's a, there's a great story behind it. And it shows you that maybe we love breakfast because of Edward Bernays. That is uh-huh. wild. So is there any standout? Is there any person that really is an expert in this field price, um, price psychology, if you will, that, uh, that you, cause there's the psychology of money, a great book, but is uh, there any expert that you recommend more so than anyone else? Well, uh, certainly the, the psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, uh, you know, who has done so much in this field, but among the, the practitioners, the price consultants, uh, I mean, Herman Simon is regarded as the godfather of price consultancy today. Uh, in the book is, as I say, uh, he's someone who can get upset when, uh, like, someone gives him a discount in a store because he was willing to buy something, you know, at a, at a certain price. And someone says, oh, we're going to give you a 10% discount. He says, you shouldn't be doing that, you know. <laughs> You've already got a customer here. Throughout your research for this book, was there anything that really stood out that uh, was scary or a fact or a statistic that kind of caught you off guard and said, wow, this is how human beings think? Mm-hmm. Well, when I go even to a supermarket or a department store now, I see all these tricks uh, that formerly I didn't recognize. So it, it is, I mean, to some extent, forewarned is forearmed. It is good to know what they're doing. But you also learn that, I mean, you're human like everyone else, and you are susceptible to this most of the time. When you go to the supermarket, I mean, you're putting stuff in your cart, you glance at the price. But I mean, you're you're thinking of other things. You're, you're I'm usually not trying to think about the you know the food I'm buying. I'm just doing that sort of uh, like sleepwalking. And it's in those situations where you're very susceptible to all these pricing tricks. Uh, so even if you think you're too smart for this, even if you've read my book and know this stuff, uh, at some level, most of the time you're not going to be devoting your full attention to all of this and you'll fall for the same tricks as anyone else most of my audience uh, I, I guess you could say is they they are they're entrepreneurs and most mm-hmm. likely they have an online website with a funnel in place so mm-hmm. if individuals get a product there's an upsell somewhere down the line yeah and most likely it's very time sensitive uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to time sensitivity Yes. How much is, does that play a factor in people's impulse buy, uh, mm-hmm. that window of, of opportunity? It's that scarcity, it's that limit mm-hmm. that, that, that just drills into the brain that gets people to pull the trigger. And mm-hmm. case in point, I was raising prices last year going into this year from December mm-hmm. 31st to January 1st. There mm-hmm. were so many people who are ready to go December 31st because they didn't want to lose out on the three to $5,000 jump in my prices. So that makes sense. That's a, that's a substantial yes. amount, but mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be three to 5,000. It could be a dollar, $5, 10 bucks. Um, Time sensitivity is crucial. Anything you can share with us in regards to that? Well, yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, Daniel Kahneman famously makes this dis- distinction between slow and fast thinking. Uh, slow thinking is where you're being rational about something. You're really thinking over uh, trying to think of the reasons to do something and not to do something, uh, which is great when you have the luxury of doing that. But most of the purchases we make are more the fast thinking where you're it's kind of intuitive. You see, oh, that's a great deal. Oh, there's not much time. Oh, I better do it right now. 
Uh, and in those situations, you're very easy to manipulate. Hmm. Man. Yeah. You probably notice it so much nowadays after this book came out. Wow. Yep. They're doing it this way. Oh, I see what they're doing here and it's working. Right. And it seems to me like it's only getting worse as an entrepreneur. I could see things from a mile away and it's mm -hmm. basically my uh, ability to, you know, be in these rooms with marketers and they, I know what they're saying and what, how they're marketing their, their products. And it becomes uh, very clear to me. So, uh, that's crucial. Uh, is there any industry that's really reaping the rewards from this? I would assume, um, this is pretty much in the retail market, you know, grocery stores. Is yeah. there, is it, is it across the board? Is everybody taking uh, advantage of this price psychology, doctors, lawyers, everyone? I don't think the small business people so much now. If you look, look at the clients for Simon Kucher and Partners, I mean, they're basically the Fortune 500 and the, you know, global counterparts of that. Uh, it's, it's, it's different from advertising. In advertising, if your agency is representing Coke, you would not also represent Pepsi. But Kucher and Partners, uh, they represent both. Wow, because uh, this they both basically use the same pricing principles, so it's not directly competitive, I guess. Uh, one small business where they really do use this is restaurants, uh, because if you look at the menu, there are all these tricks they can use uh, in terms of pricing, uh, and they have restaurant consultants who kind of specialize in advising people on how to design menus and the prices on the menus. Uh, to get people to buy the products where you have the higher profit. Hmm. So an individual has come to me uh, recently in the past couple of weeks and uh, asked me what he can do to uh, to maybe get more sales for his uh, membership. And I mm -hmm. asked him a simple question. I asked him, uh, do you have any really high ticket item? And mm -hmm. he's like, no, I don't. I, and I was like, well, offer something. Offer a very high ticket item, a $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 one-on-one package where you fly out. He says, mm -hmm. well, I don't have anybody doing that right now. Doesn't matter. Offer it because it's going to boost your value. And the yes. VIP people will see you as a higher value individual. And maybe they say yes, but maybe they say, well, if you offer that, let me try it out at the lower price and see if I like it. Now, yes. in your opening line, in your summary, you talk about how Prada does mm -hmm. very similar tactics as this. Can you explain that? Yes. If you go into a luxury retailer like Prada, um, one of the first things you're going to see is something outrageously expensive, like it might be a $50,000 bag. And you're supposed to ask yourself, who would spend that much money for one bag? Uh, but that's okay, uh, because then you'll look at that, and then you'll look at a bag that's $10,000. And suddenly that seems a little more reasonable. And maybe you'll find a T-shirt for $50 and you'll figure, oh, I can't afford all this stuff, but hey, I'm going to get the $50 T-shirt. And you walk out there thinking how smart you are, but you're the one who just spent $50 for a T-shirt. So, uh, so that's there? known as anchoring. It's a very important uh, element of uh, price uh, retailing. Wow. It's called anchoring. And, and the reason yeah. why is because what it it highlights it's a mental anchor. It, it's actually a term that Kahneman and, and Tversky uh, came up with. Uh, it, what they've found is that when you ask people, you know, what should this product be worth, people really don't have any idea. Uh, they, they just, you know, they try to remember what other products they've seen that are somewhat comparable and what, what they were charged. Uh, but we don't 
don't have this this built-in really innate sense of what things should cost of what value is. Instead, we use all these cues, many of which are unconscious. Uh, so that makes it very easy to manipulate people. Hmm. Uh, so in terms of anchoring, I mean, we're more sensitive to contrast than to absolute values. So if you've got a $50,000 bag and a $2,000 bag, you think, boy, that's a good deal, that $2,000 bag. But you wouldn't do that necessarily if you came in the store and the $2,000 bag was the most expensive one. Wild. There was a study done, and I think it was recent. Um, when it comes to pay less shoes, they took pay less shoes, mm-hmm. put it in a fake store, right? These are $30, $40 shoes, $50 shoes. Put it in, an, in a fake store, made it really Italian looking, and <laughs> and then raised the prices to 2000 3000 And then they had this big grand opening and individuals came to it talking about how amazing the shoe is. They can't wait to wear it. They can't wait to buy it. And all it is is a $30, $40 shoe. So what it showed was the human brain um, equates price with prestige, price Mm -hmm. with value. And that is a manipulation tool. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you've come across that quite a bit where you could raise the price. Like you said, the human brain doesn't know what things cost mm-hmm. so yeah. if you raise the prices to an extreme amount it automatically says i'm trying to find the easy way of explaining this so it must mean it's very valuable and in demand so can you highlight anything that you found throughout this book yeah well the brain is very good at picking up on unconscious cues and when you go to a luxury retailer i mean the architecture the decor the lighting all of that is part of this unconscious conscious cue telling you that this is a really exclusive uh, place and you know things are going to be more expensive so i i can well understand that uh, that little experiment with the pop-up uh, pay less shoes uh, uh store uh <laughs> again because people don't have this this innate sense of value i mean one of the most important cues is the price tag that you actually see and if you see something that's uh, that cost a thousand, you figure, well, somebody must be paying that. There must be some reason for that. Uh, but in most cases, the only reason is really they they want to sell it at that price and make money. You have the uh, tagline and how to take advantage of it. I'm assuming when you know this, you could potentially become a better negotiator. And there's a great book called Never Split the Difference, uh, mm-hmm. where it talks about how you do negotiate. So. How can somebody benefit from reading this book and understanding price psychology? How how would somebody utilize this information and use it to their to their advantage in simple conversations, simple uh, maybe flea market experiences, any mm-hmm. store they prov- uh, they go to, or even any service that they offer? Yeah, well, it's it's very simple. Uh, in any negotiation, the first number that's named becomes the anchor, and they've done many tests on this. Uh, and when they do that, the first number has a, a out, uh, you know, extreme effect on the final negotiated price. So in any negotiation, you want to be the first one to actually name a price. You don't want wow. to, to ask the other person to do that. Wow. I've heard the opposite. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Great nugget. So you want to be the person that says, I'll yeah. give you five bucks for that or a hundred bucks or a, a yeah. thousand. Because yeah. that becomes the signified 
anchor of the conversation. Wherever you go begins from there. Yes, exactly. Phenomenal. Anything else that you could share? Because that's really good, guys. Well, I've, I mean, I've talked to people who try to educate to executives and negotiators on this, and they all say, oh, I'm not going to be influenced by that, you know, but uh, they show them the data and uh, it makes a huge difference. Mm. Steve Jobs has that uh, um, that great speech when it comes to the iPod. And you, in your summary, you do highlight how Steve Jobs changed the game with offering songs for 99 cents. Don't buy the yes. album, buy the song for 99 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, probably something that has never been thought of up until that point. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you have come across some defining moments in price psychology. I would assume that's one of them. Anything else you could share in regards to that or another one? Well, I think just the the fact that they were showing uh, the power of anchoring back in the 1970s and no, no one really believed it. Uh, but basically with, with uh, price scanning that allowed them to do all these experiments and then the internet where everyone is doing uh, basically pricing experiments, uh, people realize that we have something very powerful here and it is something that you can use and makes a big difference. Have you ever read any Gary V books or watched any of his speeches? Uh, I haven't. No. Okay. So he has a big philosophy uh, in regards to give, 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 and then ask. And mm-hmm. what's happening there is that you are providing value after value after value. Mm-hmm. And it's the Jim Rohn approach where you're serving uh, the many, right? Serve the many for service to the many leads to greatness. Mm-hmm. And he always talks about bring the market your seed, not your need. So it's all about uh-huh. giving before asking. How does that play a factor in this 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 myth of fair value? Well, that's uh, that's something that goes back quite some time. I I've even heard that Benjamin Franklin was aware of that. That if you do someone a favor, they're more they feel they should do something for you in return. We we do have this built in uh, reciprocity idea. So the best way to get someone, you know, if you want something from someone, give them something first. And, uh, and it's, it's something that, uh, you know, really does ha- uh, have a big effect in negotiations and all sorts of business relationships. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's significant. The art of reciprocity, give mm-hmm. before receiving. And I think that that serves you very well as an entrepreneur, right? You don't think about your own needs for a while, just mm-hmm. automate the impulse to serve others and then watch yeah. what happened. There is a karma there that um mm-hmm. whether it comes back directly or from someone else uh yeah. it's it's it in your nature um mm. to receive after you you have to get first give and that could go back to biblical times right it's really mm. weird how it all kind of ties together the laws of nature yeah mm-hmm. so you've written a couple other books um fortune's formula is another one uh you're a multi-time multi-time author uh ah. What what's the most significant? What's the most impactful uh, that uh, you put out there in the marketplace? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm enthusiastic about every book when I write it. Um, I'm actually working on an update to Fortune's Formula because a lot has happened in that particular field. Uh, I'm the the book is basically about this uh, scientific gambling formula uh, that was discovered uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, it became very popular with blackjack card counters and then with hedge fund managers. Uh, so I tell the story of this, and it was rejected by economists, uh, even though it was associated with Claude Shannon, a very famous mathematician, the founder of information theory. 
Uh, and it has, uh, in recent years, kind of gotten its due. So it's a really fascinating story, uh, and that's one I'm I'm pretty keen on. So does it have anything to do with the gut is faster than the mind? When you're talking about card counting and blackjack tables, uh, I read a, uh, uh, an experiment that shows that the the gut instinct of what they see um, what, what's about to happen is usually true. And so the mind as time goes on, and I think it's called Parkinson's law. Usually if you give it more, if you give yourself more time, more variables enter and therefore mm -hmm. the, the chance of you guessing or choosing correctly actually go down the longer you stew up, upon uh -huh. that decision to make. So, um, does it have anything to do with that where the gut is faster than the mind? And so whenever it comes to, you know, investing in that company, starting that business, mm -hmm. uh, or buying that product the sooner the better because the gut instinct usually is trying to tell you something and they call it intuition and women are more in tune with it than men they say so anything like that well that's it, it's certainly true um uh, again that's that's an instant of of fast and slow thinking the gut instinct is fast thinking and it takes an awful lot of very good slow thinking to even match what you can do in fast thinking uh, but primarily, uh, it's it's talking about the whole idea of managing risk. Uh, in blackjack card counting, you have a very small advantage over the house. And if you aren't careful, you can easily go broke before you get rich. This particular formula tells you how to uh, size your bets so that uh, you will be able to take advantage of that. Hmm. Interesting. So you're updating fortunes formula Fortune that'll be updated soon then? Yes, uh, coming out next year. In uh, in your book, you talk about, uh, I mean, you have the word hypnotic effect, and I think that comes from Napoleon Hill. Did, are you a big Napoleon Hill fan at all? Uh, kind of, yeah. Okay, so he always talks about the hypnotic effect, I think. So he uh, talks about how emails are free, right? Yeah. But text messages charge money. Why is that? Can you explain? Yeah, there's really no rationale for it. It's just that they, they decided, hey, if we charge this, you know, we can we can make a lot of money. And they did. Uh, text messages are actually sent on kind of a back channel of the uh, of the wireless service. So they, they don't even consume the bandwidth that uh, that an email uh, would. But they they've started charging from them and found it's a good way to to make a message. Uh, one of the things that uh, Simon Kucher and partner and other price consultants do is try to devise what they call uh, price structures as opposed to just prices. Uh, one of the things they found is that everyone, no one likes to hear the taxi meter running. They don't want to feel that, you know, I'm paying for this as I do it. So instead, they have these plans where, oh, you can get free uh, free uh, text messages, or you can get a thousand text messages or however many uh, you want. And then you don't have to worry that every time you send one, it's costing you two cents or something. And that becomes much more attractive. So they found that most of the people who get these unlimited text messages would actually do better paying by the, the message. But everyone figures, you know, I'm better off with uh, with the free plan. Uh, this is a very selfish question. And I think you'd be able to lend uh, a helping hand. Uh, <laughs> but I'm putting together different packages for uh, specific clients, whether it's mm -hmm. gold, silver, and bronze. And mm -hmm. uh, the gold, obviously, is the VIP. The silver is probably the most popular. Mm -hmm. And in, in the bronze is... Um, 
you know, pretty much the entry level, which just gets you the basics. Can you tell me any type of data or science behind what is happening there? Because I've looked at websites that say, you know, five, six different packages, and they always highlight one that you they want you to go to most yes. popular or something. Yes. And I'm thinking the human brain doesn't have much time to analyze every up and down pro and con to each one of those uh, uh, variables. So it's automatically going to be clicking on the most popular simply if that's what the most common is let me just try that out first so mm -hmm. any science data or cool stuff you could share with our audience in regards to what's happening there or what you recommend for me to do yeah well they've done a lot of research on that actually it's um there's a phenomenon called extremeness aversion uh people tend to like to be in the middle when you give them a set of three or more options so that's why the the silver package would be uh, the most uh, the most popular. Uh, and you see this at Starbucks where they've got three sizes uh, of coffees. Uh, most people going into the Starbucks for the first time don't really know how much coffee they want, how big they are, but they automatically pick the one in the middle and they tend to stick with that. So what what Starbucks knows that, so they try to make sure that the middle size is a little more than most people would normally buy. Uh, because they want to upsell them and it it works very well. Mm. So it's a built-in system that says, you know, the average first-time customer will come here and just choose this. Yeah. So let's make sure we have a, a healthy profit margin and let's make sure that the price point is is uh is very attractive. That's it, yes. right? Yeah. Wow. And of course, it, it helps even further if you say most popular on a website or something like that. But even without it, if you have three choices, the middle one tends to be the most popular. Any um, it, This might have something to do with your book, but colors. And you say you talk about price tags. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the slashing out, right? That a lot of people yeah. do the whole, here's the price, let's slash it out for to yeah. limited time only. Anything you can uh, share in regards to uh, what people should and shouldn't do on their website in particular? Well, that's advertised reference pricing again. And whether you slash it out or whatever, it's very powerful in getting people to, to make this quick, intuitive you know, sense that they're getting a deal there, even if they're not. <laughs> so colors i all right so i have a guy working on my website and he looked at my one and i'm all about gold and black and my other company which i want to make it completely different is green and white and black and uh -huh. i want to have a complete separation what he said oh well gold is way more attractive to the eye well i said you know what there's a couple of reasons for it but I'm assuming individuals will buy more if it's a green tag or a red tag or a price tag in general that looks a certain way. Anything that mm -hmm. you could uh, share in regards to some tags even um, mm -hmm. discounted or uh, what, what's another one that they put out there where it's like, um, um, I, I'm not exactly sure, but there's probably certain tags in stores that say like, this is the last one only, right? So mm -hmm. what would you recommend if we want to sell more books even online yeah yeah well they've found that red seems to be the color that gets people's attention the best so usually even if it's a small amount of red that helps uh there have been studies showing that green is so associated with money that um that if if you want people to be thinking about a bargain or about a good buy or about making money uh, you should have a green, uh, you know, tag and you'll notice we <laughs> use your book is green. Our, I yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, that's. I'm glad I, I I think I chose correctly then whenever it comes yeah. to certain parts of the website, mostly green. So, and that's what the podcast is. So, I want them to be thinking about money with their book. Yeah. Yes. Well, then and, that should be a good choice. And your book obviously is green. So you were thinking about all this. Your book, mm-hmm. and you are a, you practice what you preach. Eleven ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine, and then paperback yeah. is nineteen dollars. Even I think the one guy would be mad at you for that. Just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, publishers have done that for for years. I didn't. Uh, we didn't really consult uh, on that, but it's pretty standard. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So um, any last tips that you recommend uh, for people who are starting a business or maybe they are doing really well with the business and maybe a high ticket item, anything you recommend? Uh, um, do you do you kind of figure out your target audience? Do you ask them? Do you get feedback? Is it is it a gut thing or is it based off of other vet factors such as, you know, the profit margin and making sure mm-hmm. that that comes first and then you have to make it sellable. So what do you recommend to anybody out there listening who has a business, an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, either starting or at the, at the level where maybe they're breaking seven figures? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say you want to make a science of it and whether you um, get a price consultant or not, uh, the internet makes it so easy to do your own, you know, A versus B experiments uh, with prices. And that's something you definitely should do. Uh, even if there's some question about whether a particular effect that you might see in my book applies to your particular context, uh, it's very easy to do that experiment now. Hmm. Yeah. So it is a uh, an A-B test. That yeah. he, that you're recommending, try this out, but also try this out in the same market with two different ad spends, yeah. and or same ad spend, two different markets. See what happens. Yeah, and you may find that the it sells better at thirty nine dollars than thirty four dollars. So you want to know that. Hmm. Yeah, I just I just love this stuff. I'm I'm a big Jordan yeah. Peterson fan. Are you a clinical psychologist yes. junkie like me? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I I'm just fascinated with how people think and. Um, and when you understand that, you know, your goal is to make yourself as attractive as possible in the marketplace, mm-hmm. you do focus on certain images and, you know, you articulate your speech in a certain way, but you do need to look like, you know, what you're talking about. And that can be shown in your price point. Um, uh-huh. And so a lot of people came to me and they said, you need to raise your prices, right? Because at this price point, Mike, by creating a book from nothing, mm-hmm. people don't believe in it. So you need to have a valuable price point. And it hit me one day where I was like, you know what? My competitors are big time players and they're charging this. I don't look serious enough. So it did hit me that price plays a factor in the marketplace. Uh, and that's probably a, a good thing and a bad thing, right? Yeah. Now, price is, is the first uh, clue people have to to quality, to values. So it's it's important to to realize that. It's fascinating. Uh, you mentioned a couple other authors and uh, major players that uh, you've learned from. Outside of your book, is there another book you can recommend to our our listeners um, that maybe were was something that changed your life, create was a defining moment, or just help put you on this path as someone curious about this type of information? Uh, well, uh, Herman Simon uh, did a memoir. Uh, I think it's Confessions of a Price Man that was uh, very well written. Uh, a lot of, of these great, you know, anecdotes uh, and how he got into this. I, I think that was very well handled. So Herman Simon, you mentioned his name a few times. I can't believe I've never come across that guy. So yeah, that's on the list. Well, he's in Germany, but I mean, his influence is totally global. 
Wow. Are you a big Carl Young fan? Totally outside of price points, but uh, Carl Young and uh, Nietzsche, do you like their stuff? I'm not really familiar with them. Okay. Carl Young, uh, another psychologist. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe he's from, I think he's Swiss. I just love uh, the way he thinks of things. And it shows you that, uh, you know, a human, human can be uh, really dissected and um, you can really understand their motives and uh, their, their past based off of a, a few simple questions. So, um, yeah, and it helps you understand yourself too. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Right. So in order to understand other people, you really need to first understand yourself. You need to ask yourself the scary questions. And once you see that, then you can start to see it in others. Really good point there. Yeah. So, uh, that's beautiful. Um, I would assume you speak on stage at places a lot. Uh, I find this very valuable. So, uh, mm-hmm. is it, do you offer that if someone was listening, would you, do you coach people? Do you, do you have any type of service or are you just putting this book out there for people to read? Is there a way to get in touch with you that, um, that could be a next step of hiring you to teach them what you know? Yeah. Well, they can contact me through my website and that's, uh, William, hyphen poundstone.com beautiful i really appreciate that that's valuable stuff and uh we just had a meeting this morning william about price points and all that so i was so excited to meet with you i'm gonna check out your book now and Mm -hmm. uh i'm also gonna have my team listen to this podcast so i appreciate your time Mm -hmm. um any last words to our audience uh who uh maybe uh want to take advantage of this black friday week yeah. Well, just make sure you go with the price science, uh, not with what you think is going to work. <laughs> price science. And you said a few great uh, uh, phrases. Uh, and I think you said something aversion. Uh, what was it called? Extremeness aversion. Yeah. Yeah. Always pick the thing in the middle. Always pick the thing in the middle. Awesome. William, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor. And uh, yeah, guys, check out his book, 292 reviews. The book is called Priceless the myth of fair value, and how to take advantage of it. Uh, 2024 is going to be a big year for anybody uh, that's starting a business or growing a business. So take advantage of it the right way. Pick up his book. And remember, a million-dollar book will lead to a million-dollar life. Right on. (laughs)